Is Austin Aries through with impact? We break down the surprising ending to Bound for Glory and whether it is a great work or a great loss for impact. NWA's 70th anniversary show is this weekend, and before Two-Faced heads to the show, we will get you prepared for the event in Nashville. SmackDown celebrates its 1,000th episode. How did it compare to this year's Raw 25 celebration, and what was the fallout from this show? Plus, we take your questions next. WrestlingInc.com brings you Two-Faced Wrestling Talk, the podcast that goes beyond WWE and goes in-depth on ROH, NJPW, Impact, and more. Also featuring fun pop culture and wrestling crossovers, listener Q&As, and extended discussions about wrestling topics past, present, and future. Now, here's your host, Kelsey. Hi, and welcome to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Paul. Yes, and we are partaking of some delicious St. Arnold Oktoberfest. It's, uh, the weather's starting to cool down, even here in New Orleans and, of course, across the country. So what better than a hearty Oktoberfest and an award-winning Oktoberfest at that? We told you about it a couple weeks ago. St. Arnold took home a silver medal at the Great American Beer Festival with this very beer, so we will drink up. My favorite time of year, October. Delicious. Delicious and thematic. And <laughs> speaking of thematic, I am wearing one of my patented thematic shirts. It's a Bootios Halloween-themed shirt just for this time of year. And usually, stay tuned to my social media because every week besides this month, I put out a poll and let you guys choose which wrestling t-shirt I wear. So follow me at SuperKickingIt, S-U-P-E-R-K-I-C-K-I-N-G-I-T, to participate in that, plus other polls that we'll do and our Q&A. You could send in questions there, as well as on our official Twitter page at Two Face Pod, T W O F A C E D P O D. Or you can find us at twofacepod.com, and that gives you all of the platforms where you can find the show, and of course, you can watch it on YouTube each week. But uh, let's get right into it. Uh, a big pay per view for, for Impact, Bound for Glory. Uh, we ended the show last week, or ended the discussion about this last week, talking about the price tag. I will say it was a really good show. I, I'm still not sure it was worth 40 bucks, but I thought it was a, a pretty good show. I thought top to bottom, I think we even said it, there wasn't really a bad match in there. Yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed it. There was a few corny spots, and we'll talk about that. But overall, I was really happy with it. I don't know, again, just like you said, $40 is really, really high. But if I had to compare it with their other pay-per-views this year, I even might have liked it more than Slammiversary. Some parts of it, at least. Yeah, they, like you said, the corniness was, uh, you know, the, the the product placement was all oh. very awkward with uh, Don and Josh holding their tumblers, and yeah, that was all terrible. And then making Willie Mack, you know, yeah. have people cheer to get those free seats, <laughs> and then talk about the website. Like, you and I are in the television industry. Just run a promo. Right. Run a promo for the company. That's what people usually do. Just like a little 15-second yeah. thing. 30 seconds, a minute, heck. Anything but what they did, it just came off really forced, and I don't like when stuff in wrestling comes off forced. It's the best when it comes off more natural, more fluid, more real. I mean, look at WWE has all their pay-per-views sponsored. They run an ad in there. Uh, during shows on Raw and SmackDown, they'll say, this match is presented by so-and-so. 
there's there's a better way to put the product placement in there than the way they did it. It came off really clunky. And speaking of clunky, some of the directing in the show was really bad. They missed moves. It it was kind of akin to me. Remember when we watched the uh, the Monday Night Wars uh, documentary on, mm-hmm. and they talked about how TNT or excuse me TBS would uh, would use the same guys that would shoot NASCAR and didn't know how to shoot wrestling. Right. That's what this felt like a couple times, where like the director didn't know how to capture wrestling and kept missing moves, and it was very noticeable. It was. <laughs> But overall, like, the matches were so strong that it didn't matter, except some parts you were like, oh, we just missed seeing something that mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. Um, luckily, a few big moves were caught. Like, one that sticks out to me is when Johnny Impact did that crazy balance between the railing and the ring, and then he did the moonsault. That yeah. was so cool. Yeah. That, that was, was scary. That was awesome. Well, awesome. Let's, before we get into the uh, bigger matches, just a, a couple of quick takes from uh, some of the other matches. Speaking of great moves... In that uh, initial tag team match involving Rich Swan, the uh, double Hurricane Rana, where the one Hurricane Rana went off the top rope into another one, and by that the guy team. was caught. Yeah, and it, it, double Hurricane Rana. Yeah. That was pretty awesome, and uh, you know that was one of my takeaways from the show. Yeah, that was a big move that really impressed me. I was like, oh, that looked great. And uh, speaking of things that impressed us, what'd you think about Willie Mack? Because I got the chance to see him go against Cody in Cody's first NWA World's Heavyweight Championship match, and that was at ROH's TV tapings. Seeing him here in Impact's great, and they were really, you know, happy to see him in the crowd. They were like, welcome back, and mm-hmm. it was awesome. So what'd you think of him? Yeah, no, he was very good. Uh, I, I definitely would like to see more of him, and, and uh, well, he's one of the ones that will be on the NWA 70th anniversary show. So yep, and we'll be talking about that. Yeah, so you get to see him this weekend. Uh, the women's match... Uh, Tessa retains, but you made a comment during the, the match that was interesting. I loved the whole match. Then when it got towards the end, I was very surprised because, you know, Taya, she dominated the whole entire time until the very end. And, you know, Tessa only did a few things. And to me, it didn't feel like it was enough. And this is being kind of nitpicky. I just didn't feel like she did enough to warrant the change in the match. Of, you know, dominance in the right. match for her to win just so quickly. I would have liked to have seen a longer comeback by Tessa. It just didn't seem as believable. And I'm usually not this kind of judgmental about a match because, I mean, heck, they're doing way better than what I could do. So I'm not, you know, I'm not really hating on it. I'm just saying it was hard for some reason to believe in the quickness of the turnaround. Right. Well, speaking of the ladies, uh, they had the. Uh... The horror movie thing with Allie yeah. and uh, Suyan and the reappearance of Rosemary. And, you know, the little movie to itself wasn't bad, you know. I mean, it had a, a good little theme, I thought. The acting, of course, wasn't great. My big bone of contention with that was that it was in the middle of the pay-per-view. Um, I don't really think it belonged in the pay-per-view. That should, could, could have been something they put in their weekly show, I thought. You know, I guess the only thing I could compare it to, which is another thing that TNA, now Impact, once did, was the final deletion. Very similar to that. You know, a standalone, longer segment. But the big difference I see between the final deletion and that, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> horror, like, underworld right. kind of thing, was that the final deletion was meant to be campy. And it embraced its own campiness. And so the acting was absurd and over the top, but it embraced that. It 
it was all about that. It was all all about being something different. Whereas this thing we saw with Allie, it, it, it was just trying to be serious. Right. And so then that's when it becomes corny right. instead of campy. I agree. And it's like they don't mean to be corny. <laughs> They're trying to be serious. You know, the fake blood spatter. It's not like the final deletion. It's, it's hard to compare it because it was taking itself so seriously. And that's the part I didn't like with, you know, the fire... It was like fire bolts and like lightning. Oh, yeah. It was so weird. I was like, what are my eyes seeing right now? It was so weird. Yeah, it was a little strange. Well, uh, one other quick takeaway was that James Ellsworth made an appearance. He got, I, I think oh he, they gosh. tried to make him like a baby face and the crowd was not having that. And they loved food. it when Abyss uh, came out as well and powerbombed Eli Drake through the table. But let's get to the matches. Uh, the kind of four biggest matches, I guess. Moose and Eddie becomes a tag team match when Killer Cross and Tommy Dreamer get involved. Uh, the sequence that jumps out to me was Moose and Eddie with the chops and just everything they did in about a three or four minute span really was the best part of the whole match, I thought. And those chops were brutal. Yeah, I mean, so is like that power bomb. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I really liked that match a lot. I thought that the match itself was stronger than the story going into it. Mm -hmm. So to me, this whole pay-per-view is kind of like, that was the story of the whole pay-per-view. You had these great matches, but the story on most of the matches, 99%, weren't as strong. But luckily, we had good, entertaining matches to watch because that's what really stood out. Yeah, I agree. And then one other part of that match, for all the physicality and the great stuff, Another match ending up on a roll-up. I don't know what the trend is of late, but uh, Impact now with a, a match ending on a roll-up. We just talked about this last week. We talked about WWE doing it, New Japan doing it, and now Impact's doing it. And yeah, okay, a roll-up, that's a standard thing right. in all of wrestling. But to end a match with it, it's just like, it seems like it's becoming more and more prominent. What happened to finishers? And that's something a lot of people kind of complain about in this day and age, is that you know, finishers are so diminished now. They aren't as strong as they used to be, like, back in the day. Now, everyone kicks out of finishers so easily. Mm -hmm. Or moves that would seem really, really devastating, even if it's not technically a finisher, they just kick right out and yeah. it keeps going. So you just got, you know, these giant moves coming after giant moves coming after giant moves, sequences and sequences of extreme moves, and then it doesn't matter. Right. So then, therefore, you're demeaning your finisher. Because nothing is special right. anymore. Right. and But then you turn around and a roll-up keeps the guy down. That's <laughs> what doesn't make sense. Right. It's a, it's just, it doesn't add up. No, I know. It, you have all it's these, a weird thing. Especially in a truly physical match where they are exchanging finishers. Maybe not in this one per se. You have all this exchange of finishers and then a roll-up ends it. It's very frustrating, but... It Unrel is. Unrelated, I think the only protected finisher, super protected, is the one-winged angel in New Japan. That know? is true. That is true. Uh, match of the night, we knew it would be the match of the night. OVE versus Pentagon, Phoenix, and Brian Cage. And uh, Weapon X certainly uh, was impressive in that match, throwing Callahan around onto the apron. Then he did the fall-away slam over the ropes. Oh, he God, was, that was so cool. He was really impressive. I mean, we know he is impressive, but he was really impressive. Yeah, like, oh, I just loved everything about it. Cage looks so good in this match. Uh, I, I 
can't even pinpoint one part where I was like, that was great. Because it was like, we were kind of just talking about it in a bad way, sequences <laughs> after sequences of crazy moves. But that's what this match was, and it was entertaining, and it kept my attention, and it made me really excited. I was like, oh my god, I even like kind of yelled a few times. Well, when Phoenix did that thing where he came flying over the rope and hits that springboard, which we've talked about in weeks past, oh god, he is so awesome. awesome. He's so good. Now, there was that one awkward move. If it wasn't for that move, it would almost be like an absolute perfect yeah. match. It was where, I think, wasn't Phoenix on top of Pentagon's shoulders? And, and then the Chris yeah. brother, he was trying to basically, like, you know, perform a cutter on him off of, like, the turnbuckle. Mm -hmm. Like, well, while he was on, right. you know, Pentagon's shoulders, it didn't work out. He kind of almost landed. Yeah, it seemed like it could have been a really bad landing. Yeah, <laughs> like he could have broken something. And, and, of course, the crowd jumps in with... You effed yeah. up yep. my least favorite chant ever. <laughs> like, if I was there, yes, we all know you, they effed up. It doesn't matter. You don't have to freaking tell them they know. I hate that. hate it. Can't say how much I hate that chant. But the ending of the match was interesting, too, because uh, Brian Cage was defiant as he was getting triple teamed, but they finally get Callahan to package pile drive him. Uh, first time Brian Cage has been pinned in Impact, so I thought that was a nice little twist on that match, too, to hand Brian Cage's first pin, and it would seem like they were setting up... A singles program between Sammy and Brian. I'd love to see that. Yeah. And that's what I want to see next. Well, and good news, as reported by Wrestling Inc. and other sources, uh, it looks like Sammy Callahan has just re-upped with Impact, so hopefully great. we will see that. It's a great acquisition for Impact Wrestling to acquire Sammy. You know how many times I've said this, and yet I'm going to say it again. To me, Sammy Callahan is your golden guy he's like the goose that laid the golden egg of impact right now because every program he's been involved with has been amazing i love him there's a few other top players too besides him but right now i think he's a great thing for the company another acquisition jordan grace she just signed a two-year deal with them that's huge with all these women going over to nxt and wwe impact needed like cornerstones of their division so now they've got tessa blanchard and jordan grace great for them and great for the women's division and i want to circle back quickly before we move on I really did love that Tessa Blanchard tie match. Cause I did criticize the ending, but overall, I really loved the match. No, it was good. I thought it was heavy hitting. It was brutal seeming. And they were, you know how we sometimes say that in women's matches, it can feel like they're thinking about what's next. It didn't feel like that no. in that match at all to me. No, I was impressed with Taya in particular because Tessa's been good. But yeah. to see Taya really, to me, kind of step up, I thought was was big for her and she knew it was a big night too hmm. for her because you know her husband had that main event match and then she just did so well and it was like she knew the pressure was on and she knew how everyone looks at her opponent so i really think she held her own against tessa blanchard and that's saying a lot lax took on the ogs and they set up the match by taking all the padding off off the off the mat took the padding off the turnbuckles i thought all right this could be pretty cool. This is something new and visually it good. It looked really nice. Like like you said, from a visual standpoint, when you saw the ring like that, it kind of made your eyes like bug out and go like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. that looks hardcore, right. brutal. How are they going to do this match? Right. And but it didn't really work out. No, it, it really was uh, something that the idea was good, but the execution of it did not work so well. The boards were slipping all over the place. The ref... Half the matches on his hands and knees trying to get the boards back in place. But I did think there were some uh, 
good spots in that match. Uh, LAX super perplexing. Hernandez. I was going to mention that you took the words right out of my mouth. And, but LAX looked hurt. Yeah. Because what happened was boards were uneven. Right. So boards were on top of other boards. Some boards were not flat, in essence. And so their back is literally hitting raised up boards. Somebody could have gotten paralyzed. So LAX, like, it could have been great selling, but I think they really kind of got Well, because I think they bit. were trying to protect Hernandez a little bit, and they ended up taking a bigger brunt of the of the damage. Yeah, on the raised up boards. Right. It was crazy. So although the execution wasn't great, as a viewer at home, you kind of got a bonus because you knew how brutal and hardcore <laughs> it actually was. So you were sitting there going like, wow, this is kind of crazy. But yeah, the ref repositioning the whole time kind of took away. Well, I, I mentioned it last week on the show. The one thing that I was worried about was Conan being in this match because he clearly cannot move very well. Um, and the streets were watching. And the streets What's were, he doing? The streets uh, are watching. So I did like the fact that they uh, they had a backstage attack, which seemingly took him out of the match. When he was like in pajama looking outfit. I don't know what was going on there. said it looked like he had a walker in front of him. (laughs) He did look like that. But he ends up, he ends up coming down late in the match. So he got a chance to participate. He ends up pushing King through the table and getting the victory. So he didn't, his impact on the match was minimal, which is the way to do it. Cause it, as good as those guys all are, that would have really soured the match. If he had a major, major part of it. I really don't want to get beat up on the cruise or anything because Conan's going to be on the cruise. He's going to be doing, like, podcasts and stuff. But, God, when he got attacked and he was, like, just they're, – they're coming up to him and they're like, oh, no. He's like, do it for me. Do it for us. And he's like, no. Like, and going crazy and shit, like, saying stuff. And then, like, collapsing. It's insane. Uh, let's get to the main event. Austin Aries, Johnny Impact. Uh, people are talking about this. Really, I, I – I loved, even early in the show, Austin Aries' promo was awesome. God, it was he, so good. He eviscerated Impact. Yeah, <laughs> and it was, like, believable. Yes. We'll talk about this later, but the best promos are the most believable ones. The ones where it doesn't seem scripted at all. At all. It seems like the person saying this stuff, they believe it. That's what Austin Aries came off like to me. So I thought that was a great promo, and it was a good... You know, stepping stone before the match, a good setting up of everything. And they incorporated uh, with Impact uh, using TMZ, which we'll also bring up here in a little bit when we get to WWE. So it all kind of gave it a real feel. And then once the match started, you even said, this kind of almost seems real because they seemed awkward, like like it was, like they hadn't worked together on the match ahead of time. They were like <laughs> flailing around at some points. Like, when Austin Aries would get, you know, Johnny Impact into the ropes or vice versa, it was like they weren't cooperating with each other. So it didn't seem fluid. It seemed more like they were working, like, legit against each other. Now, I don't know. I could be totally reading into this wrong, or it could have been set up to look that way. But it sure did look like to me that they were doing some weird working around each other. Almost like they didn't want to cooperate, or one of them didn't. I don't know. I don't know the story. And then that leads us to the ending, which is really controversial. Well, before we even get to that, two other things. 
in the match that were truly kind of brutal. The Aries drop and impact on his head on the apron, and Aries hits his leg on the railing, which we haven't even talked about how close the railing was to the ring apron. There was no room to work really outside the ring. That was such a small <laughs> venue. That's another thing. You know, the railings were insanely close, like closer than Ring of Honor railings are. Right. At a Ring of Honor show, oh, and much, that's close. Much, yeah. Remember, remember, TK Orion mm-hmm. broke his leg. One of the most disgusting things, I watched that show live. That was right. over a year and a half right. ago. And that was further away seeming, mm-hmm. the railing, yeah, than this show. So to me, I was just waiting for something to happen, just like with TK Orion. Right. Luckily, nothing like that did, but it could have yeah, in that Austin Aries match. Yeah, because he clearly bangs his, his leg on the railing. And then on the one part of the apron where there is a little space, he does that suicide dive on Taya. And Taya looked like she banged her head in the railing. Yep. I mean, there's only so much room to work. Very, very confined space, and it did make me nervous many points throughout the whole show, not just that one match. So let's get to the ending. All right, so the ending, you know, the big thing everyone's talking about, obviously, we all know wrestling's scripted, but, you know, you're supposed to play along. When someone wins, you stay laid out in the middle of the ring. They raise up their championship, and you're just still laying there usually. Sometimes somebody helps you out. Other times, after a few minutes, you roll out. Kind of, you know, subtle-like. This time, Austin Aries literally jumps up, <laughs> yeah. walks o- walks away, walks off, and flicks off the crowd. So, people are speculating, is this just a work to continue on this feud? Because, you know, they kind of built this up. We didn't talk about this. Like, a big fight feel mm-hmm. with the whole... Twitter war. Yeah, and Twitter yeah. war, and then the TMZ interview, and also the... Abyss induction turned into a brawl, right. which had a real UFC type of mm-hmm. feel, which could be exactly what they're going for. And having Austin Aries almost kind of sell this whole reality angle would would further that angle. But other people are saying he's done with Impact. And so that could have just been him sticking it to the company, sticking it to Callus, sticking it to Johnny Impact and his wife. I don't know if it was a work... It was super well done. And if it's not, then Impact's going to have a big loss. Yes. So what do you think? Well, first of all, you can read more about this on Wrestling Inc. Uh, there's yep. there's quotes from Impact saying that, that Aries is done, that his contract is up. Uh, he must have had a very short contract if that was the case because he, he uh, just reappeared not that long ago, it felt like. So... Um, but my thing was, all right, if it is a work, they didn't really set anything in motion going into it that he was disgruntled with the company. So to me, it's so out of nowhere if it's a work that there should have been a, maybe a hint or two, uh, I, you know, I'm not happy with my working conditions or something, you know, along the line. So that would make it a surprise if it was a work. If, so to me, if if it's not a work, then it, then it is great because it is completely out of nowhere i have to disagree with you there because i think if it is a work it's masterfully done because i think you're saying you would want to hint that something's wrong so if it was a work you know it all leads into the story to me it's better if it came out of nowhere and it's really making people question yeah like there was no hint of anything wrong we didn't know his contract was almost up no hints at all therefore if it was a work it was so well planned and well executed that people are actually questioning whether or not it's real and to me that's the best type of wrestling whether you're like what the hell is this part of the story or not 
That's some of the best wrestling ever. Because you truly question everything you're thinking is real and what's not. I don't know. It so was, I disagree with you a bit. And it was a good ending regardless, and people are still talking about it. So scale of 1 to 10, or we can do the grade scale however you want. Let's do 1 to 10. 1 to 10. What, what are you, uh, you going to rate this show? This is hard. Um... 7.75, because I believe, if I remember, Slammiversary, I might have said a 7.5, or even a 7.0. I wanted to rate it, I want to rate it higher than Slammiversary. Right, because Slammiversary was good at the very end, the last two or three matches. Right. But it was not that great early on. This may not have had the great matches, but from top to bottom, it was pretty good, so... Uh, yeah, I, I would put it as a 7.5 or maybe a 7.75. Seven, seven, uh, so we're almost equal yeah, there. Maybe we're an 8. Maybe an 8. So I, I'm encouraged that Impact put together a pretty good show, though. I will say this. They, they don't have a lot to work with in terms of roster depth. So I'm very impressed, and that makes me score it even higher. Because there's only so much you can do. They're kind of working with restrictions. That's why I'm rating it even higher than Slammiversary. Because Slammiversary... You've done less pay-per-views at that point. Things are more fresh. Here, you know, it's whittling down, whittling down. Your singles matches aren't as prominent, and your storylines, you have less to work with. But like I said, there's still some things they can do. Now, what hurt them, like we mentioned earlier, the corniness of the promotion, yeah. of the sponsor, I didn't like that. The constantly, oh, it's so loud here. Yeah. You know, if, if, if Matthew said that one more time, it's such bull. <laughs> it wasn't that loud. No. It, it really came off terribly. And um, so that hurt my, you know, my score for it a little bit. But overall, I really, really enjoyed it. And I'll say this. I get really tired at the end of the night. So when we watch wrestling, I fall asleep a lot. This pay-per-view held my attention, and I did not fall asleep. And, again, that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm rating it so high. I really was kind of captured by it. Yeah. I paid attention, and it held my, you know, my gaze the whole time, the yeah, whole night. Definitely an engaging show. And good for impact. Well, a big weekend coming for a historic organization, NWA, celebrating their 70th anniversary with a show in Nashville, Tennessee. You're going to be there this weekend. I think, I think part of the appeal of this show is going to be some of the legends that will be there, obviously. Jeff Jarrett's going to be there. Jim Cornette's going to be there. So the legends are going to be there. The match cards... It's good. Uh, there's a, a lot of you know guys that aren't household names, but the main event obviously is Nick Aldis and Cody Rhodes. Two out of three falls. That's what everyone's really looking towards. Because if you remember the way it felt at All In, they're trying to capture that at least for the main event. And I think they're doing a really good job. And I've touted this channel a lot, the NWA YouTube channel, but if you want backstory to everything that's happening, including this main event, the two out of three falls match, you've got to keep up with their YouTube channel. Uh, the latest video, it's called In Good Hands. It's great. It's got an interview from Aldis, Cody, and Brandy, and it's perfectly laying out the groundwork for this weekend. I love it. It's so well edited. It's so well done. Uh, great B-roll as well, actually. And at the very end, you know, Aldis is talking about how he's going to even the score because Brandy has been out at ringside. And Aldis says, you know, I could ask for Brandy to be, you know, barred from ringside, but I've got my own plan to counter it. And then they, you know, widen out the camera angle and you see a woman, you don't see her face, you just kind of see part of the bottom half of her. So he's got some woman <laughs> on his side. 
you don't know who it is. She's got blonde hair. It's not Mickey James. I mean, that's his wife in real life. Right. Nick Aldis is his wife. But it's not her. It doesn't look like her, at least, I would say. Especially because of the hair color and because she's with WWE. Right, right. There's no way. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Who is he bringing to ringside? No one knows yet. Also, you know, Magnum TA was just announced. He's going to be there. There's a lot of uh, awesome packages, some meet and greets. So if you're in Nashville and you don't have tickets, there's still tickets available. There's still awesome meet and greet events available. And some of the other things I'm looking forward to, a lot of people are kind of demeaning this, but Jazz versus Penelope Ford. And the reason why I'm so intrigued is because, one, Again, touting NWA's YouTube channel, there was a great feature about Jazz. If you don't know what she's up to lately, I've talked about this a couple of episodes ago, she's a legit prison guard. Right. And I'm telling you, she seems hardcore and scary. So I love that. That kind of believability makes someone seem like a real, legit threat. I like that about her. And Penelope Ford, back at All In, yeah, she. I saw some really great athleticism from her in that Joey Janela and Adam Page match. That was amazing. Her kind of doing all those flips, going like kind of toe-to-toe with Adam Page for a second. Mm-hmm. Loved it. So I'm excited. I know she can deliver. I think they're going to have a great match, and everyone's kind of doubting it, but it's going to surprise you. I promise you. Other people appearing, Colt Cabana, Scorpio Sky, and the previously mentioned Willie Mack, and Hopefully we'll have some uh, content out of the show. At the very least, I assume you will do a little spare change after the show. Yeah, maybe a Periscope, too, from my hotel while I'm there. And also, um, I'm really looking forward to what you mentioned, all those names, Colt, Scorpio, Willie Mack. They're all in the tournament to decide the next national champion. So that's a new championship coming back. Yeah, two fatal four-way matches, and then the two winners will meet. Right, and that should be a lot of fun. Should be great match quality, you know, all the way throughout till the end. And I'm looking forward to it, so we'll see a new champion. And and a new championship belt. And you will have a good time in Music City. Uh, Make sure you get yourself some Barbie Cutie. I think you're staying close enough to there to... Get some delicious barbecue uh, at Barbie Cutie. Yep. Let's switch gears and talk a little WWE. Let's start with Raw before we get to the big show of SmackDown 1000. The Ronda Rousey, uh, Nikki Bella feud is is picked up. And again, we talked about this a few minutes ago. They're starting to incorporate TMZ. So I wanted to get your opinion. This is not new, obviously. Right. But it seems like it's kind of ramping back up using TMZ to make the storylines seem a little more legitimate. I don't like it, though. I think that... I mean, it's something that's kind of always happened. TMZ has has reported on wrestling, but wrestling has not so heavily bought into using TMZ as part of what they're doing. Every now and then, you know, TMZ is mentioned, but this, you know, in one week it's been prominent... Yeah, in two shows. Yeah, yeah so I think it's kind of odd. I mean, it worked for the Austin Aries thing, but uh, I don't know. TMZ is so corny, so I don't know. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't help wrestling, you know, and how it's looked upon in the mainstream media. And I want to segue, because you made me watch that John Oliver segment about, you know, criticizing about the Saudi Arabia stuff. And I'm not going to go into Saudi Arabia, because I know you got more to say later, but... What I didn't like was, and this is what we're talking about, about opinions of the mainstream media. So, John Oliver's bit would have been perfect, but he had to go the route of, oh, you know, it's homoerotic, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you could be talking about any sport when you say that. <laughs> but, of course, wrestling has the bad rap 
for some reason, you know, they don't mention UFC. They don't right. mention football with you guys could, touching butts. You or could anything. take any still shot of UFC, and you'd be you could say the same thing when they're t- tied together or yeah, so, whatever. So to me, like you know, he's trying to be smart, and the, you know, the bit was funny until that point. It just totally demeaned everything he was trying to prove that was wrong with what WWE is doing. So I don't know. You know, the TMZ thing does not help stuff like that. No. You know, wrestling has traditionally been looked upon really negatively and, you know, in a low, you know, dark light by the mainstream media. And this type of stuff is not going to do it any favors. What do you think? I I, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, he is a very smart, funny guy. And everything he had to say even later in the segment about WWE was kind of dead on in his pointed way. But, yeah, I could have done without that little comment. Well, let's go back to the Ronda-Nikki battle. And uh, you and I are are disagreeing a little bit on Ronda's promo. We I, are. I thought it was one of her best promos since she's been there. Uh, I, th- I thought she came off really, really good. You know, she stumbled a little bit. But I, I, I thought for the most part, you know, she obviously hit some some points on the Bellas leeching off their men, you know, that, that Nikki, you know, the only door she's knocked down was John Cena's bedroom door and stuff. I thought it was great, but you, you disagree. I actually, I'll preface this with, so I heard about this promo. I actually even saw written out in text form some of the things Rhonda said. So I was like anticipating, wow, this is going to be like so brutal what she says to her. And so the delivery really fell short of my expectations. So maybe it's that I knew what she said ahead of time, but it's something about her delivery. She seemed like she was reading like memorization. Mm-hmm. She was saying it from memory. Some words she used, like I can't even remember that phrase. Remember I asked you like what does that mean? Yeah. She said some phrase I couldn't even understand the phrase. Something about some kind of sword, something with an s. I can't like remember. A so- societal sore, but she said it's a four-letter word or something. I don't know, it was all very intricate, like an intricate insult, but it didn't come off like she knew what it was. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. So to me it was like, yeah, this seems so scripted. I actually, and I don't like the bellas. Let me preface this before I go into this, because I might get some heat. A lot of people loved the Ronda promo. I actually thought the Bellas reaction was one of the best reactions I've ever seen from the Bellas. Usually they're so corny and scripted, and they seem like they're just kind of reciting lines. This time, and rightfully so, I mean, because, yes, Ronda's promo was great in that what she had said had truth to it, but her delivery wasn't believable to me. What she said was believable because some of it has some truth. Right. So it's two separate things we're talking about here. Whereas Nikki and Brie probably had a real reaction to it because the crowd was so behind what Rhonda was saying, all the insults. You know, so imagine being the Bellas sitting there being like, this really is making us mad. <laughs> They're really on Rhonda's side. And although we're supposed to be the heels, this sucks. And, you know... It's super offensive when someone tells a woman that they've only gotten so far because of a man. It's an easy card to play. It really is. So it's easy heat. But the weird thing is, Ronda's the baby face. But, you know, the Bellas are so hated right now because they're not great in ring that, uh, you know, Ronda gets cheered for that. So I just think it's kind of ironic that I actually thought the Bellas did a great job at looking so angry and annoyed and almost like smarmy, <laughs> like when Nikki did that whole like butt twirl. Yeah. Like she was like, ah, I'm just gonna flaunt like you say I do, you know. 
Well, that's what she does. So I know. I, I liked it I'm, on the Bella side. I didn't like it on Rhonda's side because she seemed like she was about to cry at some points. And I thought that was kind of a weird way to do the promo. We were supposed to be tearing down these women. Yeah, but I think she was supposed to come across as emotional that she thought they were her friends kind of thing. It's, but she never changed from emotional to, like, super angry. Because she still had that twinge of, like, looking like she had a tear in her eye. Or, like, she didn't want to say the things she had to say. It almost seemed like, we want you to go out there and say this. And she might have even felt secretly uncomfortable. Now, I know you guys might disagree with me. And that's okay. Because one of our mantras here (laughs) is, it's okay to agree to disagree if you do it respectfully. And you don't, you know, hate on anybody else's opinions in terms of attacking them as a person for having a different point of view. So if you guys disagree with me, that's cool, that's fine. Tweet at us at Pod. Let us know why you disagree or why you might agree. There whether, you go. whether you agree with me or whether you agree with Kelsey on that. Uh, that's about it uh, that we're going to talk about on Raw. You know, Obviously, they're, they're still setting up Dean Ambrose's frustration with the Shield. One other point I just wanted to make, just because it struck me, no way Jose hasn't been on TV in weeks. He's in the background, basically backstage, and that's it. Once again, further evidence of these promotions where the guy goes nowhere. So I'm, I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, I mean, there's so many guys on the WWE roster and gals. Some people just don't even get time on TV at all for weeks and weeks and weeks, sometimes months. And it's, it's a disappointment because the, the non-WWE scene is so rich and so popular in terms of, you know, the highest it's been maybe in the last, I don't know, 10 years, Mm -hmm. at least five years. And there's people who could thrive on the independence that are just going nowhere in WWE. But yeah, it's an easy paycheck. Yeah, it's a huge platform. Yeah, there is prestige in saying you work for WWE in a way. So I understand being torn, but we've got a question about this later, about who maybe could thrive outside. Yeah, I mean, if you're buried on main event or uh, superstars who... You know, you got to be a real WWE diehard to be seeking out those shows. Um, yeah, it's it's frustrating, and you know, maybe they're de- you know maybe they're developing more his character or something, kind of like they did with Authors of Pain. We didn't see them on TV for weeks, so we'll see. To me, it's all about the type of performer you are. You either are okay with living out your dream and making good money. Right. Or you're kind of like Cody Rhodes. He's a perfect example. You're not happy with the status quo. You care more about changing the business and making a difference and having more like glory in a way and prestige in terms of your accomplishments and what you're doing in the actual business. So there's two types of people there and some people are just okay with being on main event. They're like, I'm still living my dream. I'm making good money and this is what I wanted to do my whole life and this is okay with me. You know, to me, like if somebody was like, you want to work for WWE and do backstage interviews? I'd be like, nah, I'll work for Ring of Honor. <laughs> I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, no chance. Different types of people. No chance. You'd take it. No, I would not. In a heartbeat. I would not. Uh, you lie. All right, let's go to SmackDown 1000. Uh, I thought overall a... Much better, tighter show. Again, the two hours is part of that, too, than the Raw 25. I thought it was a much better show. So much better than Raw 25. I actually hated Raw 25. Yeah, I kind of did, too. Because I just thought it was so clunky and so much reliance on Legends. Now, I will say, yes, there was Legends in this show, too, but I liked 
I don't know. I liked the way they did it better. Mm-hmm. It seemed more believable and uh, it had a better feel and more heartwarming than Raw 25. Also, the opening package, the video package was, was tremendous, great. Tremendous. Yeah, I loved that. I thought it was very well done. I mean, they didn't even need to have a song play, and they could have just done those clips with no music, mm-hmm. and it would have been great. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, it was great. And uh, I don't think I've mentioned this on the show, and I saw it obviously in the video package, and later John Cena did a, a little thing off his cell phone talking about SmackDown. I was actually at his debut on SmackDown at the Allstate Arena. Uh, I happened to be up for Summerfest and then went to uh, the show in, in, at Allstate Arena and Kurt Angle comes out and it was a challenge and Cena comes out and really wowed the crowd that night. And yeah. obviously, you know, that was the beginning. And yep. so so that would be my SmackDown moment, I guess, of the 1,000 episodes was the fact that I was there for that. Yeah, and now, you know, fast forward to now where Cena's like phasing out. Mm-hmm. How crazy is that? So you were there for his debut there. Right. And now SmackDown <laughs> yeah. 1000, he's he's kind of barely there. Yeah. No, he wasn't there. He was just on video, you know, so. Yeah, so. And and two weeks ago, he had a, had a 42-second appearance at the, <laughs> at the Super Showdown, so. Things have changed. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, talk about really, to me, what was the highlight of the show, and I know it was for you. <laughs> it is my favorite part. Evolution. Making its return. The guys were great. They all felt like they were speaking from the heart. It didn't seem overly scripted. Maybe a little, but not too bad. But I know you had been anxious to see Batista. You're a big fan of his. And what did you think? Evolution. (laughs) Remember how I kept saying (laughs) evolution, like evolution? Which we'll say next week when we preview evolution. Yeah, I'll probably just end up saying evolution like a hundred times. I remember we recorded a voiceover. I had to redo it a (laughs) hundred times because of that darn song that I love so much. It was awesome to see the four of them walk down. But yeah, I was looking forward to seeing Batista as soon as it was announced that he was going to be there. I was like, yes. Because yes, yes, people hate on Batista. Whatever. I... Will never apologize for being a fan of Batista. Yes, he's not the greatest in ring, but you can tell he's got passion for the business. How I know that is when he comes back, like after Guardians of the Galaxy, the first time he came back, which was such a weird run when you think about his time coming back. One, I respect that he insisted that he was there for everything, including house shows, including, you know, all Raw and SmackDowns. He said, I don't want to just be there for a couple pay-per-views. Like, somebody like, hmm, Brock Lesnar, he does that? (laughs) Well, at this point, you know, Batista had just been in a huge movie. He could have done that, but he didn't want to. Somebody else who's very respectable and kind of is there a lot is Chris Jericho. When he has a run, he likes to actually be there at house shows and stuff, too. So right there, right off the bat, I love that about him. I love how he's got a very soft-spoken voice, how he's actually really intelligent, and he doesn't, you know... Really, you wouldn't know that by just looking at him because he's such like a, a big, tough-looking guy. But no, he's got some brains behind him. He's very soft-spoken, and it's kind of a stark contrast. Like when he comes out and does the machine gun thing, he looks so intense, and that's what comes you know, across to the audience. Like, wow, look how intense this big guy is. But I just love the two-toneness of him, the two sides of him. Two faced like <laughs> us, like our podcast. I-, I love that about him, and it was great to see him back because last time he came back, the audience was not behind it. They were so into Daniel Bryan that they backlashed against his push. Because, you know, he was supposed to have like a main event of WrestleMania, WrestleMania 30 in mm-hmm. New Orleans, which we both went to. 
it didn't end up a, like going like that. And you know, he put over Daniel Bryan. He took the pin, I believe, right. if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think so. So to me, I have all this respect for him. It's so obvious to me that he has a love for the business. I've listened to like so many podcasts he's done as a guest on like you know Jericho's podcast and many others. And he just always is so humble and talks about how much he loves wrestling. And yeah, he's controversial. He is a controversial guy. He said crazy things before, but just seeing him there. And we talked about promos earlier, like with Austin, mm-hmm. Austin Aries and how believable that was. This Batista promo, it went on for a while, but no one said what. People cheered for him, which was great to hear, because finally he gets like a homecoming that I wanted to see him get all along. Right. And um, everything he said, it didn't feel like he was reading. It didn't feel like he was rehearsed what no. he was saying. Although he is one of the best actors to come out of WWE, <laughs> including The Rock and John Cena. He's far above it above them in skill level to me in my opinion but regardless it didn't seem like it was rehearsed at all so i loved everything about it and maybe just maybe we're getting a tease of that triple h batista match because batista has said he wants to have his retirement match against triple h if that's going to be at mania you and i are going to be at mania i'll freak out this is a segment that has made me smile more than any wwe segment in the longest time i can't even tell you yeah batista if you didn't see it at the end, he's complimenting the other guys. And he said, Triple H, you've done everything in this business except beat me. And I also like Triple H's selling on that, too, because he legitimately made it seem like he didn't know that was coming and that he it was, was awesome. he was kind of pissed about it. So I, I thought it was an awesome segment. It was so good. And in contrast to Raw 25, when they tried it out DX and they that had this stu- stupid match... And they buried the revival. This was so much better. You didn't have to bury anybody. Right. Anybody knew at least. Like, you know, you had, you know, a feel-good reunion moment that wasn't overplayed or overdone. It felt natural. And um, you didn't have to put any of the new, like, the current roster down to do it. And you built excitement for something. That's a Legends match that I would love to see. Because it doesn't affect anyone on the current roster having Triple H against Batista. It's a perfect match. Yeah, they're older now, but I still think they could deliver. Triple H, we've said this before his Undertaker match, he's great at selling. Batista, although he hasn't been in the ring in a while, I think Triple H could give him a great match. Yeah, well, you give them months to prepare, I think it'll be I think it'll be really, really good. Say what you will about Batista, but he's athletic. Yep. There yep. you go. A uh, couple of other matches quickly to touch on that kind of had a little bit of significance in that show. Uh, the bar goes up against the New Day. Big Show comes out in the middle of the, the match, and he power bombs Kofi through the announce table, and the distraction causes the bar to win the title. So Big Show has gone back and forth on being a heel and a face so Yet many again. times in WWE. It's like the 1,000th time, which is appropriate for SmackDown 1,000. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a 1,000th heel turn, but anniversary Apparently show. he's going to be buddies with Cesaro and, and Sheamus, which... Look, I'm fine. Big Show, I've said it before on this show, has been one of the great workers in WWE. He's done a lot to put guys over, and he's been generally a very good guy in the business. So, and great in WCW, too. Yeah, so, so yeah. If, if he gets a chance to, to be a part of the show, whether it's just tagging along with Cesaro and Sheamus or some six-man tag stuff, I'm all for that. I'm intrigued to see the dynamic between the three of them. So, yeah, I'm not totally against it or anything. And, you know, the bar, that's one of my favorite tag teams there so it's nice to see them with the championship again show ended with uh, the world cup 
uh, qualifying match, Rey Mysterio back in a WWE ring, and he was he was good. He beats he Nakamura, good. but that one move we really thought was kind of cool. God, yeah, he like slid underneath the bottom rope. That looked awesome, and he basically like almost like it was like a suicide dive, dive but slide right. underneath the bottom rope instead of the middle rope. It was so cool, and he landed on Nakamura when he was just laid out on the outside of the ring. Loved it. Thought it was great. Having said that, there was another awkward part later in the match that I didn't like. No. Yeah, we, we joked about it when uh, Mysterio flips Nakamura over and Nakamura crawls over to get in position for the yeah. 619. That was kind of not good. <laughs> Mysterio looks to be in such great shape. Love seeing him back. Everyone's very excited. I will say, though, it was great seeing him in New Japan earlier this year, and I almost think his ring gear for New Japan, like especially his mask, was a lot cooler than I thought they were going to you know, pull out all the stops and have a super special outfit for SmackDown 1000. I mean, his his outfit looked good, you know, with the like Riddler type of question right. marks, but I don't know, just I love the whole lion's mark mask that he had when he was performing in new japan so cool outfit but not as cool to me as the one before earlier this year so that wraps up wwe talk and of course uh, next week we will be building towards evolution but when we come back we are going to take the questions from you it's ask two-faced and we've got some good ones including uh ranking a top five of big men St. Arnold Brewing Company, located in Houston, is Texas' oldest craft brewery. Their goal is to brew world-class beers and deliver them to their customers as fresh as possible, making them the best beers in Texas and Louisiana. Their customers are beer lovers, people that appreciate great full-flavored beers. So whether you're enjoying an art car IPA or a smooth-drinking lawnmower, look for St. Arnold beers throughout Louisiana and Texas. Our awesome wrestling logo is by artist Eric Hodson. You could check him out at erichodson.storeenvy.com, where he has tons of other wrestling artwork. He really is an incredible artist. His Twitter handle is at Dreaded Dinosaur, which is named after his comic series, The Dreaded Dinosaur Man, which you can find on webtoons.com. Thanks, Eric. We really love your logo. Welcome back to Two-Faced Wrestling Talk, and now it's time for one of my favorite segments where we get interactive with you guys, the listeners. We answer your questions. It's time for Ask Two-Faced. And our first question is going to come from at Mr. Dose 2. What title matches do you see coming at Wrestle Kingdom 13? Well, obviously, we know that Kenny Omega is going to face Tanahashi. It looks like Okada and Jay White. What do you think some other matches could be in there? I really don't know what matches are going to occur. I'm always bad at predictions and (laughs) stuff and how things are going to play out. All I do know is that the show is going to be flipping amazing. I'm very excited about it, and boy, do I wish I could be there. (laughs) Because 13, as you know, is kind of one of my favorite numbers. It's like my lucky number. I was born on Friday the 13th. So to me, I was like, I want to go to a Wrestle Kingdom even like two years ago during Wrestle Kingdom 11, which I think might have been the first Wrestle Kingdom I watched live, I was thinking to myself, gosh, how great would it be to be at Wrestle Kingdom 13? Not knowing anything that could possibly right. be lined up for it. Just the idea of it being the 13th one. It could have been so cool. But man, I'm not going to be able to be there. We don't have money to go to Japan. <laughs> darn. But it's going to be a great show, and I'm really looking forward to the main event because we didn't know if it was going to be Tana 
or Jay White right. versus Kenny Omega. Now we're pretty sure it's Tana versus Kenny Omega. I think this is great because I've said this in previous episodes, but he's going to prove that he can stand up against the ace. But I don't know. There's all these rumors swirling that there's unhappiness behind the scenes right. in New Japan. So are, you know, the members of the elite going to stay in New Japan? It's a big thing because lots of contracts are up in January right. during Wrestle Kingdom time right afterwards. So I don't know. It's going to be a lot to look out for. But uh, I think some things to look forward to besides the main event are just, it's interesting who will hold the IC championship. Mm -hmm. Because finally Chris Jericho is going to defend it against evil. Yes. At power struggle. So that's going to really be a big thing. Right. Going forward. I think he retains and does a rematch against Naito. And I think Evil ends up taking on Zack Sabre Jr. That would be kind of the way I see things shaking out, but who knows? I don't know, but uh, I'd like to see that. That would be very interesting. Great match, I'm sure. And um, I really don't know. Obviously, we're getting an Osprey versus Tai Chi match. Right. I don't think it's going to be so far away as Wrestle Kingdom, but... It'd be great if he was the champion instead of Tai Chi at that point, so he could have a great title match at Wrestle Kingdom instead of Tai Chi. I, could, <laughs> I just don't like Tai Chi. I could see Adam Page maybe against Suzuki as a possibility. Oh my god, I'd love that. Uh, they had their their battle in the G One, so uh, I think there are some possibilities there for sure. But uh, we still have a couple months to develop the storylines on that. All I know is I can't wait to see what's going to happen. We'll be watching. <laughs> All right, so our next question comes from at NJPWUS. Check them out. They're awesome. They say, pick a wrestler who would be a good professor. Well, you could have John Cena be the professor of thugonomics. Oh, God. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, no, I guess you want somebody who's really smart. Uh, this guy seems to always be our go-to on the smart category. I guess Xavier Woods would make He's got a PhD. <laughs> right. What so, else could you want? So he's got to be the professor, I would guess. No, I feel like somebody like, I guess Cody Rhodes. To me, he's such a multifaceted person. I feel like he is so smart in so many things. A couple of weeks ago when he was on Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, he was talking about all kinds of stuff like theories and science. And he, you know, is said to love Star Trek and Star Wars. He just reminds me of somebody who's super into science and nerd stuff and... To me, that's some of the smartest people. <laughs> and cool, too, though, at the same time. So I'd love to have him as a professor. He'd be smart and fun. All right. Our next one is from at wrestling 2 underscore 0. What wrestlers do you think should leave WWE, and where do you think they should go? Again, this is, <laughs> this is that endless question that we kind of touched on with the No Way Jose, is guys who aren't being utilized, do you, do you start looking to go other places? And who would best fit that um i think i think somebody like no hey jose probably that was somebody we were talking about earlier probably isn't in that position yet but i i certainly think there are guys that are being underutilized that certainly could go i think to name a guy apollo cruz whose character oh god yeah whose character has not really developed in wwe he seems like he'd be a, a great fit because of his athleticism in a ring of honor or impact. I, I, you know, so that's the kind of guy I think, you know, I don't think 
you look at any of the main guys, you, you don't look at Seth Rollins and say, okay, he's leaving to go to Impact, you know. But you look at the guys who basically aren't really sports entertainers. They're more of wrestlers. Like, let's just even, t- like, Gresham. You know, he's so well-fitted to Ring of Honor. Right. So somebody like Cruz kind of reminds me of, like, a Gresham. Great at wrestling. People have complained about his persona. So, go where wrestling is valued super high, as opposed to sports entertainment. So you look at those type of people on the roster. Those are the people who would benefit going outside of WWE. But me, I want to be, like, the heel and get some heat and say, I'd love for everyone to leave (laughs) and go onto the non-WWE scene. Because it's so rich and vibrant right now keeping competition alive and i'm sure there's a lot of guys who while they love the wwe paycheck would also like to be doing more athletic wrestling too you know we didn't really talk about this very in depth we mentioned it shortly about punishment martinez leaving and going to nxt i am super bummed about this he could possibly get a great push and do well his character wasn't bad he had a character in Mm -hmm. ring of honor but his athleticism is what was so impressive. I just don't know if he's going to rise above the you know, crop of people there. Because there's a lot of great people there in terms of personality in NXT. What? Like Keith Lee, yeah. Matt Riddle. How is he going to fare against them? Whereas in Ring of Honor, he really stood out because of his size but also, and his athleticism. Well, NXT is so loaded right now, too. It's hard to get everybody on there. We've talked about that. Now, this week, we had the debut of NXT UK. We'll see if maybe some of the talent filters into that show as well. But, yeah, I mean, then you promote the guys from NXT and you don't use them. So they're better off in NXT because they're being used. But at the same time, there's only one hour a week. And now if you have NXT UK, there's two hours a week. So, uh, you know, look, I think this is going to be a discussion for as long as we do the podcast. There's going to be moving parts all the time because... This is such a good time with so many promotions going on. The guys are going to move back and forth. There's going to be a lot of movement. I'd like to see movement because that keeps, you know, the variety in wrestling. You know, you don't want just one promotion to thrive. You just don't want one monopoly to kind of make or break the whole industry. Now, yes, nobody can really technically, quote, compete with WWE, but you could still have a thriving scene outside of them, and you need talent to do that. So I hope there's more movement, because like I said, that keeps things fresh. I agree. And entertaining for us. Next question is from at Revisionist Book. Cast the characters of the show The Office with wrestlers. I'll let you handle this, because The Office is one of your favorite shows. Yeah, I love The Office, and of course... Like most pop culture stuff, you don't even know about it. No, no, I, I, I know the Office. I do know the Office. I, I tried watching it. It just wasn't for me. You know, God, I just I didn't think it. it was as funny as everybody else made it out to be. It's a dry <laughs> sense of humor, but also sometimes it's dry, and other times it's like super over the top, ridiculous. This is a really hard question because you've got somebody like the lead actor, you know, Steve Carell, who's playing Michael Scott in the Office, and I'm talking about the American version of the Office, of course. Um. He is such a character in the show. One of a kind character. Like, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite episodes where he's talking about what it's like to be in prison, so he, like, puts on a bandana and he calls himself Prison Mike. He's like, yeah, the Dementors, you know, prison's horrible. The Dementors, they suck the soul out of you, and it hates. And then Jim is like, you're talking about Harry Potter? He's like, no, I'm not talking about Harry Potter. He's like, Prison Mike, it sure seems like you don't know about prison. It's great. (laughs) 
one of my favorite scenes ever. It's like, what wrestler could kind of fit into that role of absurdity? I don't know. It's so hard. I guess it's totally different, but maybe because he's clueless and crazy and all of his shenanigans, maybe Yano. <laughs> I really don't know who else could it be besides Colt Cabana, maybe. But Colt Cabana is more of a dry. He's not absurdist and, and clueless like Michael Scott is. So I, I'm leaning towards not saying Colt. I mean, like I said, it's more of like an absurdist. Like Michael Scott's over the top, does the weirdest stuff. So that's why I would say him. Uh, Jim, who's, you know, the prankster, pulls pranks, dry sense of humor. I guess Zack Sabre Jr. maybe. Okay. Possibly. Or Colt Cabana. Yeah. Either one would work. Um, Zack Sabre Jr. would be a more mean Jim, but still. <laughs> Pam is your sweetheart. Um,. I gotta go with my standard sweetheart answer, Candice LeRae. Yeah, yeah, I know. I just used her last week. Or weekend. Bailey. Yeah, that seems yeah. to be your two go-tos there. I love Candice <laughs> LeRae. I'll never stop, you know, using her as an answer because she's so good um, to use. And really, to me, those are the three super main characters. But then you've got Dwight. You can't leave Dwight out. Uh, he's also absurd and over the top. God, who could he be? He, you know, thinks he's super tough. I'll say David Starr, because David Starr has this long list of nicknames, saying how great he is. It reminds me of, like, you know, Dwight, I'm so great, I'm so awesome, Bears, Beats, Battlestar Galactica. I guess somebody who toots their own horn a lot, David Starr. But a more absurd David Starr. So maybe if David Starr would amp it up and be more ridiculous. Those are my main characters I'm sticking with. Next question comes from at metal underscore 2006. If Chris Jericho does go to impact like the rumors have been hinting, who would you like to see him feud with? I got so many answers. This is is such an interesting rumor and boy, I find it hard to believe him going there, but he, you know, he's not opposed to going anywhere. So he said he was watching the pay-per-view on his Twitter the other day. He tweeted that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, the way he attacked Naito, I mean, him and Sammy Callahan obviously would have an amazing oh, yes. program together. Uh, you know, I would assume he's gone against John Morrison, Johnny Impact back in WWE, so I'm sure they would have decent matches together. Brian Cage. Yeah? Heck yeah! <laughs> heck yeah! Heck yeah! Wait, heck are yeah. you doing Eli Drake or are you doing. <laughs> I'm Brian Cage, man. That would be awesome. Oh, the, the yeah. Was... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, um,. I do like the idea of Sammy Callahan versus Chris Jericho. Oh. That would be incredible. And it was slightly teased because they had this whole thing building up to the announcement that Callahan was going to be on the cruise mm-hmm. where he was calling out Jericho. He was calling out Impact's main office. So, you know, there's a slight tension and story there from months and months ago. They could build it from the cruise onward. Mm-hmm. The cruise right around the corner. So yeah, if he did go to Impact, that'd be a perfect built-in storyline ready to go. Baseball bat versus tripod match. <laughs> yeah, because that tripod he threw on Naito was exactly. so brutal. Exactly. Literally just flipping hammered it down on him. That may be uh, the best use of a prop on our show. Yeah. Me, well, me dropping the tripod Some on people the might floor. not have seen it. That's he true. He actually have dropped go, the tripod. Have to go back to that. Yeah. All right, final question is from at TMZ underscore YT. Who are your top five super heavyweights? That's 350 pounds and over. And your top five skyscrapers. Six, six, and over. Okay, well, shall I go first? Sure. Okay, so super heavyweights, the beginning of this answer is easy for me. I love Bam Bam Bigelow. I've always loved him. Great look, great athleticism for a big man. 
and a super cool guy in real life from what I've read. I mean, saving kids from a fire? How can you argue against that? You know, that's a story told about him for a very long time, very well known. The flames on his head. I love everything about Bam Bam. And then we've got Vader, of course, you know, R.I.P. One of my favorites, loved his guest appearance on Boy Meets World. I grew up seeing that, so I've got a soft spot in my heart for that. I thought he was so scary looking. Somebody who's great in death matches, but also had a very beautiful athleticism for a big man. You know, the moonsaults he would do. Just beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, but then it becomes harder for me. I guess I could say more current people I love. I'm kind of partial to Brian Malonis and Beer City Bruiser because they're collectively known as the Bouncers right now. Two huge guys. Very nice. We talked to them. We had the pleasure of interviewing them before Supercard of Honor in New Orleans this past year. I love everything about them. Malonis has a Seinfeld-themed <laughs> podcast. How could you argue against that? And both really, really good, especially Beer City Bruiser. I love his athleticism. And I guess my fifth would be Big Show. I mean, um, he's big, he's tall. I guess he could go in the 6'6 six, six category technically, but he's a big man. Well, uh, I'll start there because I'm going to put him in both categories. I think I said it earlier in the show. The guy has been dedicated to the business. He uh, tries to, he's tried to reinvent his body. He's gotten in shape. He is not super athletic, but he's done some good stuff, some good good moves where he's left his feet and stuff. So I'll put him in both categories, but since we're doing the heavyweights, him. Uh, Beer City Bruiser is definitely on my list because I've seen some of the athletic stuff he's done in person multiple times. Braun Strowman. Can't, can't leave oh Braun Strowman Oh my gosh, why did I leave him out? <laughs> yeah, can't leave Braun Strowman out right now. And then I guess from the past... Uh, Rikishi is another one who did Great some amazing answer. things for a big man. I know he got kind of typecast because of the stink face, which was funny, but he did so much more than that. So I, I think he's one that definitely has to be involved in that. And I guess my fifth one, I'm going to go to a classic guy that doesn't get a lot of love, but was part of when things took off in the 80s, King Kong Bundy. I like that answer, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think he he doesn't get enough credit he was part of a WrestleMania main event against Hulk Hogan. He's he's not regarded enough, in my opinion, for his role in that time during the 80s when wrestling really took off. I think that's a wonderful answer. I like that. Um, underrated. Yes, yes. Yeah. So and, there's I, a, and there's a million other good answers, obviously. Yeah. It's, so I said my big man, but I want to say the tall guys now. So Undertaker, you got to say, mm -hmm, of course. Absolutely. I was, you know, kind of singing his praises earlier, Punishment Martinez. Mm -hmm. Because I know this sounds absurd to put him on my favorites, but he is so insanely athletic for such a tall, big guy. Mm -hmm. I cannot leave him off. Like, if you compare him to somebody like Big Cass, he's leaps and bounds over him. Yeah. That's why, to me, he deserves to be on the list. Because when you compare it, yeah, they're both, like, you know, tall guys. But one of them is clearly just so above in terms of being athletic and great. Um... Andre the Giant. Gotta have him He's on. He's a giant. <laughs> and um, he did so much. Yeah, he might not have been, you know, the fastest, but he is a historical guy and did so much for the business. He's got to be on my list. And then I'm going to put Braun Strowman on my tall guys. Okay. Because to me, he seems more like a tall guy than a big guy. Like a, 
a heavy guy, even though technically he fits into both categories. Um, and I believe that's four. I'm my fifth. Uh, I could say Kane. It's easy to say Kane. Tall guy. Obviously historic, did a lot for the business, still making impacts on the business as a legend. Um, I'm definitely not going to say Kevin Nash. He's not been my favorite. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess I'll go with Kane. I really can't go much off your list as well. I mean, I'm not going to put Braun Strowman and Big Show on both lists, so I'll just put Big Show on both lists on this, even though Braun could totally go there. Undertaker, Punishment Martinez, Andre the Giant, for a lot of the reasons you said, and if you have not seen the HBO documentary about him. So good. Everything that he went through, everything that, you know, was involved with his travel, his legendary drinking. <laughs> I would say one of the best parts about the documentary is the old footage from where he grew up when he was actually, like, really tall and skinny. Uh-huh. Like, he wasn't the Andre the Giant you remember Hulk Hogan, like, slamming. Mm-hmm. He was, like, a thin, young, tall, just big guy, which would fit in perfectly to the 6'6 six, six and above category, well over. So to me, that footage is impressive, and that's worth checking out the documentary alone. Yep. And, I, I mean, I'm trying to... Trying to come up with another one, but I, I think I got to go with Kane as well, um, just because of all the things he has done over the years. Uh, he's just been really, really good. I think a guy who could fit in that role is Dijak, who we we loved in Ring of Honor, and this harkens back to another discussion. A guy who really hasn't gotten his chance in NXT. Dude is six nine and does incredible athletic stuff. We talked about Punishment Martinez. Dijak is equally as incredible. So I think he could, if given the chance, and he may need to get back out of WWE to get that chance, I think he could fit into that list as well. That's a great choice, and I'm so sad about how he's not being utilized as much as some people like, you know, Keith Lee's already getting over. Now, he doesn't fit in either category. I actually looked this up. I'm very surprised he's not over 6'6". I thought he was, but he's not. So I, I can't put him in either category. If he was taller, I would, for sure. Um, another person who just misses the weight category and the height category is Warbeard Hansen. I thought he was taller and bigger, <laughs> but apparently he's not. He's someone I would love to put on the list, but technically he doesn't meet the requirements from the question. Well, so. that, was a, that was a fun question and uh, certainly got a chance to uh, relive some of the greats back in the 80s who uh, still, because of their hugeness which is a part of the appeal of wrestling is especially in the 80s where these guys were larger than life you know those guys were a huge part of it someone who actually looks pretty darn tall just to wrap this whole thing up nick aldis yeah i don't know how tall he is i mean i'll look it up right now let's see right here well lance archer i think feels like he's pretty tall he's gotta be tall Yeah, like, Nick Aldis is, uh, he's only 6'3", but he looks huge. (laughs) There's no way. How is he only 6'3"? It doesn't seem like that. Let's see what Lance Archer is. I bet he's got to be 6'6". He's 6'8". Okay, there you go. So he he meets (laughs) the criteria, and since you're, like, mentioning him so much lately, the last three episodes you mentioned him. He's one of our favorites. Yeah, exactly. It's like I have a man crush on him or something. I'm talking about him. Well, he is so good. I love him. So I just miss the water spray, as we've been saying. I do, too. But yeah, he could be an honorable mention. 
great, great discussion. Thank you guys so much for sending in your questions. Really love to answer them. It's one of my favorite parts of the show. Again, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Two Faced Pod so that you can send in your questions if you have any you'd like us to answer every week. Also, follow me on Twitter at SuperKickingIt because you could send the questions to there as well. Now, it's time to close out the show and send them home. And what do you got, Paul? Well, it has been a topic in the news, so I'm just going to throw my two cents into the whole crown jewel and what should the WWE do. Look, it's an easy answer to say WWE should pull out of this event. Logistically, it's hard to do. It you know, it involves breaking a contract of you know, reportedly sixteen million dollars. Now, they could do a make good and go back there. I think they should have had, when you're dealing with countries of instability, that maybe they should have had a backup plan if something like this were to occur where they could have had the event at another site. But this is all just not looking good for WWE. I know they're putting the positive spin on it. Randy Orton has said, we, you know, the company line is we're, we're trying to be an institute of change. That's why the thing needs to go on. WWE is saying we're monitoring it. So, look, unless something dramatic happens, I'll be shocked if WWE pulls out of this event because they've already put too much into it. But it's not a good look for them. And I think it's, it's really kind of a bad look. And, you know, the Saudis may say that they want change, but... Resorting to tactics like are being reported with this reporter are the same barbaric tactics that have been a part of the past. And if if any of this is true, that's a that's hard to justify going into business with. It is, and it makes it seem like they're just in it for the money. And again, we talked about negative negative stereotypes in the media. This is not helping WWE in the mainstream media in terms of you know, how it's perceived by others, you know, not just WWE, but wrestling in general, because a lot of people equate WWE with wrestling. So to me, it's, it sucks. Yeah. And it's good. I'm also curious to see, you know, Fox is generally considered on the conservative side, which means they'd sign with Donald Trump, which means they'd sign with WWE. So, you know, the big contract with Fox I wonder how any of that affects things, but I don't think it will affect any of it at all. I think it's a, I think it's a dicey proposition, and if they go through with it, it's going to be interesting to see the backlash afterward. I mean, it's easy for all of us to weigh in with opinions before the event. I want to see what happens after the event, if if they go through with it, and more and more details come out about what happened. It, it could be a bad look for WWE, but I don't know if it'll hurt them. It probably won't hurt them in the long run. It seems like they're almost untouchable at this point. Like, nothing could hurt them. It's it's crazy. Like I said, they've become so big. It's like, what can you do? Right. Nothing. They're kind of untouchable. But that's just, it's a bad example, I think, and a bad look. And I, I like closing out the show. It's a, it's a sticky situation, for sure. It is. It is. So what are you sending them home with? Well, I've got a couple of things, more like teases. Uh, first, I want to talk about, I loved going back to the 
you know, the evolution thing. I love how Batista talked about Blue Tista and how people <laughs> used to chant that at him during his last run, especially, you know, his last night, he was wearing all blue. So Blue Tista chants, you know, ringing throughout the arena. I personally thought that was, you know, great, hilarious, <laughs> hated that he was leaving. And there's actually a great elite figure because I used to collect them. It's almost like an addiction that I had. Yeah. Luckily, I've broken that addiction and I don't buy the elite figures anymore. I just don't even look at what's out and available because I'll start to buy it. Yeah, you've just channeled the addiction into something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like posters and shirts. And pops. And... Yeah, I've got lots of like merchandise addictions. But I do have a Blue Tista version elite action figure i love it it's his tattoos it's like from the back he's all in blue um yeah it's one of my favorite action figures ever i'll have to uh, take a picture and put it up one day i really really think that's one of my favorite action figures so yeah i enjoyed seeing batista and him mentioning blue tista then also we have to remind everyone make sure you get your pop and wrestling connection answers in for next week, it's all about recasting your favorite horror, or if it's not exactly a horror movie, it could be like a Halloweenish movie, recast it with wrestlers and explain your reasoning, like explain the scenarios. Best, most creative answers will be featured on our new standalone, I guess you could even call it like show. Yeah. Because we're going to have it drop every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Time, the Pop and Wrestling Connection, which mixes pop culture topics with wrestling. Again, follow us at the two Twitter handles I told you multiple times, Super Kicking It and Two Face Pod, to participate in those because it's out now on both Twitters. And you could send in your answers. And finally, to wrap it all up, I just want to say next week we've got something special to look forward to. The artist who designed our logo, Eric Hudson of Eric Hudson's Illustrations, who also did a lot of great StarCast official artwork. He is going to be on our show talking about his new Roddy Piper comic book. It's sanctioned by Pro Wrestling Tees, and it's got the blessing of the Roddy Piper family. The artwork's going to be incredible because all of Eric's art is incredible. Yeah, and as it's you, as you can see stuff. behind us. <laughs> yeah, the WrestleCon New Orleans stuff is his, and our StarCast poster is also his. If you're watching on YouTube, you could see it. And uh, yeah, just look out for that interview because he's going to be telling us all about this exciting project. Looking forward to it and looking forward to uh, talking about Evolution next week as well. It'll be uh, another great week on Two-Faced Wrestling Talk. Thanks so much, guys, for listening or watching if you're watching on YouTube. That's the finish. <laughs>